I listened to a fascinating discussion regarding the case of the four slain University of Idaho students on a slick channel called Surviving the Survivor. The channel had an amazing panel with a famous mind reader, and her name was Anne Walbert Burgess. Burgess is a forensic nurse who pioneered research on essay and trauma in the 1970s and 80s, and more recently she helped the FBI's newest behavioral science unit, or BSU, team to better understand serialists, as in people who do in multiple people on multiple occasions, the Ted Bundys and Richard Specks of the world. The BSU, or Mind Hunters, has been interviewing serialists in an attempt to prevent similar brutal crimes in the future. The other panelists included Dr. Gary Brucato of Columbia University. Brucato is a clinical psychologist, researcher, and author who specializes in the areas of early psychosis, violence, and other serious psychopathology, and who has been studying how violent thoughts and actions emerge in psychotic versus non-psychotic persons, and finally a retired FBI agent named Jeff Wood out of Boston. The gifted panel members were there to shed further light on the criminal profile of the person who committed this horrific four-victim crime in Moscow, Idaho. What's becoming increasingly obvious is that this person who committed this crime, taking four lives using a sharp-edged object, is someone with superior physical strength and a great deal of endurance. This person also has to have some degree of mental health issues. Now, because these experts like us do not have access to the students' autopsy reports, they could not provide absolute answers as to whether or not this crime was truly driven by rage or if one or more of the students was truly targeted. Burgess said that she would need to see where exactly the wounds were placed and how many wounds each victim suffered in order to really make any accurate conclusions. Kaylee Gonsalves' father told us that his daughter suffered more severe wounds than her best friend, Maddie Mogan. We've also been told that the majority of the wounds were to the student's upper torso and chest area. Mr. Gonsalves, after learning about his daughter's wounds, has concluded that Kaylee was a primary target. However, one of the experts on this panel offered another possible explanation for Maddie's lesser wounds, and that was that the perpetrator could have found himself physically drained by the time he got to Maddie, so that he could not physically subject her to additional wounds and or more severe wounds. Another expert weighed in to say that Maddie's third floor bedroom was likely dark inside when the intruder entered it. The expert felt that it would have made sense for the intruder to leave the lights off 
so as not to be seen by neighbors through lit windows. But we don't really know that, do we? We see glimpses of the house at 1122 King Street in that police cam footage from Banfield, which would indicate the lights were off around 3 a.m. But I personally have not done enough analysis of that video to know for sure. So we don't know how well the intruder could see in that room. We're all assuming the light was off and that it was dark in there. If it was pitch black, the perpetrator could have just been jabbing at whatever moved, right? In that case, he would not know which person he was harming at any given moment. It's also possible that the intruder, if he planned well, could have been wearing a headlamp device to light his path to the bedrooms and to his intended victims. That would have allowed him to see who he was attacking, and it would have blinded the victims and caused them additional confusion if they even had time to think. It's hard to fight back if you can't see clearly and a bright light is blinding you. It's also possible the perpetrator turned the light on as he entered so that he could clearly see his victims, and if he had a main target, then focus the majority of his physical efforts on that person and then use just the bare minimum on the other victim who might have been collateral damage. From what Kaylee's dad said recently about her wounds, it sounds like whatever attack went down happened quickly, and the jabs were so skillfully placed that the victims likely did not suffer much. This is both jarring to hear and in some weird way a relief to hear as well. No one wants to think these beautiful souls suffered. Note that on Monday, December 12th, Steve Gonzalez told Fox News that his daughter Kaylee's liver and lungs were slashed during the attack. Gonzalez also said that the wounds were more like tears as opposed to straight jabs. But, and this is a big but, Kathy Mabbitt, no pun intended, Mabbitt, the coroner who did the initial examination of the students' bodies said that Gonzalez's description of tears is inaccurate. Mabbitt said the wounds were not tears. She explained that the sharp-edged object was large, so it may have given the impression of tears, but that those wounds were more like straight jabs. It's unclear why Mr. Gonzalez would say something so different from what the coroner is saying. At this point, I'd say these breaches of information by Mr. Gonzalez are leading to unnecessary confusion and maybe undermining the investigation. I hate to say that, but it's feeling that way. It sounds like maybe his other daughter, Olivia, also feels this way because she made a post on Monday insinuating that Fox News had twisted her father's words and taken them out of context. I'm pretty sure that's not the case, or Fox would have retracted the article. But let me get back to this panel's discussion. Dr. Gary Brocato said that the fact that a sharp-edged object was used instead of a weapon with bullets is very significant 
and is key to the case. He said that this could point to one of two things. One, an impulsive perpetrator who found himself set off for some reason, and he grabbed whatever weapon he had access to in the moment. In this case, there's a good possibility that he left DNA behind at the crime scene, and it would be a messy crime scene, which, by the way, is what the coroner described. Or two, a perpetrator who was very regimented, who meticulously planned this crime out, and who decided to use that particular large, sharp-edged object because he wanted to get up close and intimate with at least one of the victims. The other victims could be collateral damage, done in only because they happened to be there. This type of perpetrator would have chosen that object because he wanted to inflict maximum pain. In this case, it is less likely that DNA will be found. This is because a perpetrator who plans a crime like this is more likely to be wearing gloves, booties, and who knows what else to keep his DNA, skin cells, sweat, hair, clothing fibers from being at the crime scene. I personally am really hoping that this person isn't that smart and isn't that prepared and that in his frenzied attack, he left touch DNA somewhere on the victims, on the bedding, on pillows, if he used them to silence his victims and hold them down, maybe on the sliding glass doors to the kitchen, the doorknobs into the bedrooms, perhaps on that staircase rail, maybe somewhere on that front door. We know that a neighbor reported seeing the front door wide open at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday morning when the two surviving roommates were likely still sleeping. Hearing today, Tuesday, December 13, about this mobile gas station clerk who may have spotted the 2013 white Hyundai Elantra, like the one the police are looking for, in the station's surveillance footage, traveling westbound on White Avenue around 3.45 a.m. on the night of the crime, before turning down a side street, tells me that if this was the perpetrator in that Elantra, he likely exited the girl's house out that front door. That would explain, A, why the door was spotted wide open at 8.30 a.m. on Sunday, and B, why we saw investigators processing that area. Dr. Gary Brucato also said that if the perpetrator was of the regimented planner type and not the impulsive type, then he may have been driven by some sicko physical fantasy. I say physical instead of the S word because YouTube doesn't fancy that term. So Brucato said that even despite there being no signs of the victims being essayed, the crime could still be rooted in a fantasy of that ilk, and the sharp-edged object could be, in this guy's twisted mind, an extension of his staff, if you know what I mean. I know I've mentioned this in previous videos, but it seems to be a recurring theme among the expert criminal profilers 
talking about who this monster might be, what his character might be like. According to Bracado, the choice of a weapon is key. He said that statistics show that when a weapon with bullets is used, it is less likely that the perpetrator may be suffering from severe mental illness. But when a sharp-edged object is used, the statistics indicate that the perpetrator is more likely to be dealing with severe mental illness. So mental illness and sharp-edged objects go together when it comes to the big M. Per Brucado, if this perpetrator is of the fantasy type, he is likely a person who other people find peculiar, an odd duck, if you will, someone who is a little too cold, a little too regimented, and he may lead what Dr. Brucado describes as a very mechanical existence. He doesn't socialize much with others because he's odd, women on the whole reject him, he's likely into weaponry, perhaps a hunter, someone who can feel very slighted, has a explosive temper, someone who conveys a sense of something being wrong to the point where if you interacted with this person, you would sense not to mess with him. And this fantasy type perpetrator is more likely to go on to become a serialist as opposed to the impulsive type of perpetrator. And if this perp is of this type, post this quadruple victim crime, he will go into a cooling off period, which is where he probably is at right now. Once that cooling off period is over, he will likely act out again in the same manner. Let's hope this new mobile gas station footage will be such that the investigators can focus in on a license plate. And now that they have that timestamp of 3.45 a.m., they'll be able to look at other surveillance footage from other homes and businesses along that route and get more images, hopefully, of that white Elantra. What I find absolutely fascinating about this gas station footage is that the investigators or the police have announced that this crime went down between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. If this person was driving down that road at 3.45 a.m. on his way to wherever to hide after the crime, that means this crime likely went down in less than 45 minutes. That's amazing that somebody could do that to four people in that amount of time. So it must have been like boom, 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 just racing through the whole thing and then racing out of the door. No time to hang around, no time to take photos maybe, no time to relish the scene if you have these sick proclivities. It's just stunning. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories. Hey, if you enjoyed this and you appreciate the work I put into my videos, please hit that like button. Please subscribe to my channel. Please leave me a comment and I'll see you next time.